Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the nine to five? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. We are really happy to have you with us today uh, for another exciting episode full of, you know, chock full of knowledge and real estate stuff. So excited to get to that. And as always, with me here again is Sandy McKay. How are you, Sandy? Fantastic, Rob. Excited to be here again. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're getting into some interesting real estate stuff uh, in the market and the world. So I think we'll have a good show discussing all sorts of stuff around that. Yeah, we are. Things are changing, man. They are changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have some exciting updates. It's not just like the market's going up, the market's going up. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, volatility there. So um, yeah. we can discuss that in a little bit but everybody listening should go over to our website breakthroughreipodcast.ca they can get all of our past episodes from there they can interact with our guests uh through the show notes and 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 get access to any uh any um you know materials that our guests have uh have left for us on there so breakthroughreipodcast.ca you can also get our free gift yeah, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. And of course, like you all know, you get on our email list when you do that and you will uh, hear about everything else we got going on and all the updates, all the, sh- all the maybe events we got coming up, webinars, whatever, we, whatever we're putting out there, you will hear about it and never miss on an episode. And please go over to iTunes and leave us a rating review. You guys know that helps. Uh, it doesn't take too long. Go over there, tell us what you think, uh, leave us a five-star review. That always helps, and uh, more people will be able to hear the show. More people, when they go on and search uh, Real Estate Investing Podcasts, uh, ours will pop up, and they'll be able to hear all of our past guests and all the info that we've shared over the years, over the past eight years. Right, Sandy? 
going on for sure. eight years now. Over so we're years, super, yeah. <clears throat> we're still here. We're still going strong and we're still excited every single time we get behind these microphones. So, uh, so yeah, yes, sir. Just, uh, yes, sir. Keep, keep listening. I mean, keep, keep listening, keep growing. I think we're, uh, you know, what's fun. We're doing a, we've, we've gotten lots of transitions over eight years in different, different ways. And, um, you know, we're, we're ramping up if, if nothing else right now, we're, we're not slowing down. So we're going to ramp up and keep pumping out more shows. That's right. And uh, just like always, today is no different. We have an exciting guest. Uh, and uh, Jesse is back. He was our guest on episode uh, 126 in September of 2020. So we're excited to hear the progress that he has been doing since then. He's been doing a lot of exciting things. So we're going to be hearing about that. And uh, we're really excited to have you with us. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Good to see you guys again. You know, yeah, I didn't want to mess up your last name, so I just didn't say it. <laughs> no problem. I think, I think for Galley, I think we can hit you it. You got it. Galley. Is that right? That's it. I'll do, I'll do a quick little backstory on who you are and, uh, and, and that so our listeners can, uh, can recall if they missed out <clears throat> on episode 126. But uh, Jesse for Galley is a commercial real estate broker and investor. Uh, started investing in student rentals uh, we're over 10 years ago, I guess, on that now. And I've uh, been investing since then, uh, single family homes, condos, et cetera, and, uh, and definitely into multifamily apartments. And we'll talk a little bit about that with him today. Uh, he's also got uh, his YouTube channel. He's a contributor on Bigger Pockets. He's got his uh, podcast growing. It's called The Working Capital. And um, certainly has some insight to share over the commercial landscape as well as he's, uh, like I said, a commercial, uh, commercial broker in lovely city of toronto and of course we've seen some some major uh you know interesting stuff happening in that world over the last couple of years with uh with covid so we'll talk about all these things and more in the show so yeah welcome again and um happy to have you here a pleasure to be here it's uh it's pretty amazing eight years guys uh congrats on that that is a <laughs> uh i feel like uh i don't even i don't even think i was listening to podcasts eight years ago let alone knew what they were you were too Crazy. young back then. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. In the mid twenties, it, uh, it was too young <laughs> to get into podcasts. Yeah. Well, why don't um, we start with, uh, why don't we start with a little bit of backstory? I know uh, if someone's listened to your, sh or your previous episode, you probably heard this, but uh, what's, how did you get into real estate in the first place? What brought you here? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. For any repeat listeners, I, I won't bore them going to super granular detail, but I got started in, uh, in Waterloo. I went to school. I went to university uh, in, in Waterloo, Ontario. For those that don't know, it's about an hour and a half west of Toronto. And I started uh, renting out student housing out there. So that's how I got my first, uh, it's the area that I started originally. And from there, um, continued to do that, finished my degree, uh, worked in Toronto, and eventually shifted from the student rentals that I kind of built up from there to different areas in Southern Ontario, um, switched from buying those into uh, buying condos in Toronto. And, you know, if anybody knows the Toronto market, even now, uh, especially back then, it was a bit of a hockey stick graph continues to be uh, prices were going up quite a bit. And then at the time I was doing some assignments of condos. Uh, so for, you know, any American listeners, typically you'll hear the term wholesaling, but basically selling the contracts of, uh, of condos, which at the time you had to be really careful about because, um, you know, the CRA was just, the Canadian Revenue Agency was getting very particular on how this income is treated. So from there, I switched, um, kind of, 
my geography to Toronto and started buying uh, assets there. And then I work with Avis and Young Commercial Real Estate, met my partner, John, there. And we started buying multifamily apartments. And the first one that we bought was in Hamilton, which, again, is west of Toronto, about an hour. And from there, I think we talked a little bit before the show, uh, bought our first uh, deal that we had, we raised capital for. And that was uh, in pretty much downtown Toronto. If you're from Toronto, you'd probably call it Midtown. But for those that don't know the city, it's pretty much right in the city. So let's dive into that deal then. Like um, one of the things that we like to do here is talk about some of the big challenges, right? Involved in something like that. So, so, you know, like that's a massive undertaking, first of all, raising the capital and then finding the right building that's going to, you know, have the return that your investors want. So there's all kinds of challenges in there. Yeah. I guess you could start with the first one and finding the property. Um, there's, you know, seeming seemingly continues to be quite a bit of capital out there. Uh, deals are harder to come by good deals. So from that perspective, it was pretty much the same program that we use at, in brokerage in finding clients. You know, you're, you're looking for off market deals and this particular deal was an off market deal. I, you know, I used, the resources that we have available, you know, for those in Canada, whether that's the land registry or you're lucky enough to have access to uh, corporate searches and, uh, you know, software like CoStar uh, in the States, it would be, you know, secretary of state to find owners. And then from there, it's just a matter of calling owners and seeing if they are open to selling. Uh, I found that there's a lot of owners out there that will maybe not necessarily take a lower price, but some will take a lower price if it means that they're just dealing uh, without marketing the property, without going through the hassle of, of bringing it to market. Sometimes it's the anonymity of, of not, you know, every single person knows you're selling your property. So it was really just a, just an old fashioned cold call. You know, I said, Jesse Fergali, I'm an investor in the, uh, in the Toronto area, I passed by this property today. I just wanted to see if you consider selling. And we kind of went back and forth and that was how we initially took down the deal. So, you know, number one, it's always great if you can find off market, you know, once they're up on MLS or wherever people are marketing, the value is pretty much eroded from the, you know, the premium you pay on it. Um, And then from there, we knew that we wanted to raise capital for it. Uh, It was just under $4 million. So it wasn't something that you necessarily, it's right on the cusp, I would say, at least from a Canadian perspective on if you would need outside capital. But what we wanted to do is get practice at actually raising capital because really the, all the process that you go through the, you know, creating in our case, the, the corporate structures, the limited partnership agreements, going to others to talk about the investment, creating a, a you know, a, information memorandum that looks good and you know that you can actually sell it to investors all that is the same whether you're buying 5 million or 30 million and we see them in brokerage so for us we wanted to cut our teeth on this one raising outside capital and that's what we uh, that's kind of the process that we went through for this one Hey investors, we want to let you know our partners at Calvert Home Mortgage are an amazing mortgage lender for your Burr or Flip projects. They only require 20000 down, no appraisals needed in most instances, and can fund quickly. And right now, we're offering Calvert Home Mortgage's free Flip Burr Analyzer tool to run your numbers on deals. It's in our podcast description, and you can save $500 off your next deal with Calvert Home Mortgage when you mention our referral code, Breakthrough Podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
So you have the did you have the deal first or the raising capital part first or how did that work out? Yeah, the the chicken or the egg. Uh, you know mm -hmm. what? What I you know there's a bunch of resources online. You see it a lot more in the states now. Syndicated deals, a lot, and you're starting to see it more in Canada. People syndicating deals. For us, what we did was the process I wanted to follow was not have actual signed commitments from investors, but soft commitments that I kind of looked at people that I did my MBA with people that I did, you know, I went to university friends from, you know, high school that I still connected with. Basically, if you go to your uh, iPhone or whatever, whatever phone you have, I just know, cause I have the iPhone, you go to your uh, phone book, you scroll all the way down to the bottom. That shows how many people are saving your phone. It's pretty crazy how many people are you actually save and you can export that to Excel. And literally I just emailed uh, people that I just described I said, Hey, um, you know, if you don't know what I'm doing in real estate, a lot, you know, a lot of them did, uh, we're starting to look for properties to acquire, manage, uh, and we're looking for investors. This is the type of property. So we had kind of a, a model property. These are the type of returns we're going after. And if you're interested, do you want me to let you know if we do come across a property like this and if not, no pressure, um, you know, basically unsubscribe type of thing where if you, you know, you don't want to be involved. So through that, we got a lot of interest of people that gave us kind of a soft commitment. But then when we actually went to uh, get the deal under contract, we definitely gave ourselves a couple outs in terms of financing. So to answer your question directly, deal under contract first, then uh, investors, but it wasn't like we, you know, we didn't even think about investors until we, you know, we put the offer in. It was definitely part of the process. Cool. How much were you raising per, or, you know, say exact amounts, I guess, but how many investors were you bringing into, was it intent to bring on like, you know, dozens or was it like one or two? Yeah, the intent was to, so part of it was to not just make it like a partnership of four people, because then it kind of defeats the purpose of what we're trying to, you know, start to practice. Um, I don't know the exact amount, but it was probably, I think with the GP, like with, with ourselves, uh, which are my two partners, probably around nine or 10. And it wasn't supposed to be that high either, but we had a couple investors that we really wanted to get in the deal. And it was right when we were at the end, you know, it was tough to getting to the halfway mark. That was easy. Then like getting that extra bit, like really stretched for it. And then in the end, we had a bunch of guys that were just, or a couple guys that were just like, yeah, no, I, I, I want to get in. And it, it, we, we had to fit them in. So we basically had to go back to some investors and say, listen, we want to get this other person in the deal. Would you be cool with, you know, having a $75,000 investment instead of a hundred? So that's kind of the process we went from there. So it wasn't just one or two. We, we wanted to raise like a normal limited partnership. Cool. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people are surprised like you said, it's pretty, in a way, you kind of made it pretty simple. You just went through your phone book and asked people, um, which is people a lot of times are kind of scared to do that. Uh, how did you, how did you, like, what type of people ended up coming in on this? Are these like, you know, super rich uncles or something? Or are they like um, everyday kind of just homeowners that have home equity? So, you know, for, for those that, you know, like from the outset, I, I'm in commercial real estate. So there were a few of the guys in the industry, uh, surprisingly not as many as you would think. Um, I think we talked about this last time. I'm always surprised, you know, how few people in our industry invest in our industry. Uh, so 
the type of individuals, what we did in Canada, you have a couple uh, exemptions that you can use uh, to get a, get outside of having to file um, like you would if you, you're IPOing a stock. And those, what they're called prospectus exemptions. One of them is friends and family. The other one is accredited investor status. So we were going to go specifically with accredited investors, uh, but we noticed that there was a few of the guys that we we had invest that were kind of on the border. And to for that status, you have to meet a certain income threshold in a certain amount of time. So for us, that for us, it was not really like super rich guys. Well, I mean, we had a couple hockey players, but that wasn't because like we were searching for high net worth individuals. That was like word of mouth because our industry there's just a lot of ex-hockey players and and uh so good connections there but generally speaking it's uh accountants in toronto uh you know real estate uh brokers uh you know a couple other finance guys like not you know not uh some rich old dude that has uh, millions of dollars so it was pretty mm-hmm. pretty evenly split we went in with 75 i think 75,000 was the minimum investment Awesome. Which, if you think about it, I mean, if you're going to buy something on your own, I, I challenge you to be able to fund it with, with 75000 So this is an exciting deal for a lot of people, you know, in that position. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of the guys, like they wanted to get into real estate in some capacity. Uh, we're all, you know, my close buddies, we're all in our kind of, you know, late <clears throat> 20s, early 30s. And it's kind of that part in the career where they're starting to make, you know, make pretty good money and you know they don't want to go do what we do uh you know and actually own the property speak with property managers they just want to be connected with it in some way and this is a you know a route for them okay so now let's talk about the building itself right you've you've found the deal um you must have some kind of a plan for um you know increasing value let's talk about that yeah um you know that's like the uh the canadian landlord landscape i don't know it should be a book or something but it's it's pretty challenging for uh for landlords uh, it's definitely a tenant centric market um but that being said you know there are ways that we can add value to buildings and do it properly and and make sure that uh you know investors are taken care of but you're also t- treating tenants with dignity and and doing everything above board so for us the area that we bought is uh, it's a place called, uh, well, it's the intersections of Bathurst and Eglinton, Toronto. So for anybody that knows, it's pretty much in the heart of Forest Hill. And Forest Hill, I think, you know, probably the, some of the most expensive homes in Canada in this neighborhood. So part of the appeal of this property was the fact that the market, the rents were way under market. And what we thought or we came into our plan was we could take these to condo quality. And by that, I just mean putting uh, washers and dryers in the units, uh, dishwashers, you, you know, the, the creature comforts that we, a lot of people take for granted, but in a lot of rentals, they don't have them and basically turn over the suites and put them into where we would class like a high end rental. So we had to pivot on that because this was, we closed the middle of last year. So we're right in the middle of the pandemic. So for us, it was okay. That high end market. And if you guys remember rental rates, we're going up, going up, and then the pandemic happened, and they kind of plateaued. So for us to be able to get the higher high end, started to the thesis didn't really work from our vantage point. So what we did was okay, instead of spending seventy five thousand dollars on a suite turnover, we spend fifty thousand dollars on a suite turnover, but we turn them into B class, 
you know, not super high end, but B class and where we can still get our return and we're not spending a crazy amount of money. So that's kind of, that was the strategy going in. So since then we've renovated one suite, we're working with tenants right now on the other suites and, uh, you know, just anticipate the question about dealing with tenants and how to, you know, how to come to an agreement to actually get the units because we did buy these fully tenanted and part of the, the art, not science of Canadian real estate investing is working out an agreement with the tenants, uh, if they're willing to end tenancy. And it's a very, you know, you have to be very delicate about dealing with that because, you know, for listeners that don't know, um, you can't just kick a tenant out because you're at the end of a lease. Uh, it's not the way it works here. So that, you know, is something that we're navigating and we have in the, for the last uh, six months. Yeah. One of the beautiful parts of, uh, of investing in Ontario, at least is, is, is that, uh, that landlord's tenant stuff, uh, lots of opportunity in it, I guess, is the, is the, is the positive part of it. Um, if yep. you can navigate your way through it, but, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's also a deterrent at times. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it can be tough because, because you've bought the building with the rents significantly under market, what they should be. And nobody in that position is going to be like, yeah, I volunteer to just leave. Right. Like they, they know they're going to have to go find something else. It's probably going to cost them more. So the whole thing is to work out a win-win situation for everybody. So you can go in there and, and renovate those suites. Uh, you had a few tools that you mentioned before I wanted to ask you about CoStar and some other ways of finding deals. We kind of breezed right through it, but I think there would be some listeners that might have gone, what the heck? What's that? How do I use that? How do I find, how do I use that to source deals? Cause um, that's the, that's the, you know, the everyday dilemma with uh, investing in real estate. It's not necessarily the capital part, which is, you know, it's, that's, that's one thing, but it's finding the deals is always the hardest part. How do you yeah, use some it- of those tools you mentioned? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I said, for, for listeners that have the benefit of tools that a lot of the, you know, the guys in our guys and gals in our world, uh, in brokerage take, take for granted. Uh, so we use CoStar quite a bit, uh, CoStar, you know, tracks pretty much almost all of the commercial real estate properties. So multi-res retail industrial office. So a lot of times if I'm looking in an area and I'm trying to find the owner of a building, I'll go directly to CoStar, look for the numbered company or the individual. I guess if you're if you're looking purely on the residential side, you'll find individuals. Uh, but for us, a lot of times there's that extra layer that we have to go through and it's typically a corporate name. And then from there, the corporate searches, I believe you can pay for them online. Again, a nice benefit of being in a brokerage. You know, we can email somebody in our brokerage and say, can you run a corporate search and all that means is that the corporate, uh, you know, veil of the numbered company, it'll just show who the actual um, individuals are. And then taking that to the next step, you know, whether it's Canada 411 or you're trying to figure out uh, based on the address, you know, what the actual phone number is. You know, sometimes you just can't find them and you just have an address and we've snail mailed stuff before too. And, you know, especially on the broker gen, you're just like, I want to connect with them and we cannot find a number for the person. Sometimes your only option is mail. Uh, so that's like if I if go, you're going the co-star route, uh, again, if you have access or you have a, a friend that's a broker, um, you know, then you typically will have access to stuff called RealNet and RealTrack in uh, in Ontario. I think it's I think it's specific to Ontario, I, but I'm sure every province and state has something similar. 
And in that case, you know, you're looking at the actual record of the, of the last sale. So it will typically show the stakeholders. The, a lot of times it'll show the banking, uh, you know, if it was paid for in cash. And I think Realtrack was actually purchased by Altus, uh, which is another company similar to CoStar. I think that was fairly recently. If, you would probably know, uh, know Sandy. Um, but I know because well, we use we use Real Realtrack a bit too, and uh, uh, is also yeah, it must be Altus. Altus Studio or something now. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah, yeah. logging in and being like, "What the hell is this?" But it's a good tool. I mean, it's a good tool. So th that's that's the route that I would typically take. Now, if if you're an individual that you know you don't have access to the majority of of these things, you know, there's different different avenues you can go. The land registry is one of them. And if you go in any city, you can Google the land registry for ownership. And then you kind of have to follow that same, that same process. The challenge for most people, especially if they're looking for commercial and they're not associated with any brokerages or they don't have a realtor that they're working with is the fact that the numbered companies, there's, you know, there's very few tools aside from actually paying for corporate searches, which you can do as well. Uh, there's a bunch of like, you know, online places that you can actually buy corporate searches uh, to figure out who the owners are. But at the end of the day, you can always, uh, you know, you can still uh, drive for dollars and, and find properties you like, figure out what the address is and, and go that route as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's kind of the process I use. And City Hall often has a kiosk where you can just sit down and, and uh, you know, do a registry search. Yep. I know you used to do that. We used to talk about that, Rob. You used to do that in uh, Oshawa. You used for, to do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. moved to Hamilton and they wanted to charge us for all that crap. So I kind of got annoyed by it. But every city is a bit different. So some of them are really easy and, and open source of info. Some of them are a little more um, holding it hostage and uh, want you to pay or want you to go through hoops to, to get it. But, you know, whatever you're willing to do. If you, if you, gotta, you gotta go through a couple hoops. That just means there's probably more... Uh, more people are not doing it. Yeah. 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 So do you guys, do you guys uh, still do, will you go through land registry or do you guys now use different software? I know you, you guys, uh, I think, well, Sandy, I know you do a lot on the residential side. Yeah. We use Realtrack though, a lot for the multi-res. We've, we've been using that for a couple yep. of years, I would say. Um, once I found out about it, uh, that's been a, we've done a few deals from this. It's, it's, it's um, you know, you gotta do, you gotta go through the, the work after like just finding the info is one thing, but then, yeah, you know, working through the call list and you know it's it's a it is quite a bit of work, which is, you know, um, again why there's why there's good opportunity at the other end of it. But real track's been pretty good. I mean, I think for us, uh, paying for it was roughly five grand a year. I'm not sure yeah. if that that financial elements changed now uh, with 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 their setup, but um, uh, there there are some real estate boards even that have free access to that. So depending that's one of the perks you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the perks of having a real estate license or being a part of a brokerage. There's also real estate boards even that give you, I know there's a few that have free access to real track. So. Yeah, we, we had a, a few of our, uh, so I, I work in, in kind of investment sales on the off and office, but our actual multi-res team in our brokerage, they, they've, a lot of the younger guys have had a lot of success on real track. They've, you know, and it get, it's probably because a co-star is, you know, is so crowded now because it's easy. Like you can type in a co-star, this property, and then you get the information. But if every other broker is chasing the same thing, that's where Realtrack, you know, if, if people aren't using it as much in our world, that's the benefit. Uh, but like you said, it's it's one thing to get the information. You got to do the other 70 or 80%. Yeah. Make the calls. Sometimes it's all the non-glamorous stuff. Yeah. 
my last three or four deals have been MLS deals that nobody wanted. Generally stuff that I showed to my clients over and over and over again. And, and nobody was, nobody was taking it. So I'm like, okay, well, there's a deal here. I guess I'll take this one. Was that cause they, like there was the concern that if it's on MLS, it's not going to be a good deal or. Oh no. I mean, Hey, that's what I do. Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a realtor. So my clients are buying stuff all the time. It would just be, so I've always been, you know, I've always been not necessarily property first, but like when I find something really, really that I think is really juicy anyways, I'll push it. Right. And so those would typically be the ones where I, like the, the, my 10 bedroom student rental in Peterborough, that's up and running now legally. I got all the like everything's uh, above board, and I mean I showed that. I would say at least twenty of my clients saw that building, and it was just maybe it was too daunting. Maybe you know I had more vision than the people I was showing at the time. I don't know whatever it was, but you know over and over and over again, and then just going, okay, why is nobody want this? Like it's a it's a gold yeah. mine. So you know. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on student, student res again. I feel like it's going to come back. Uh, I know everybody, well, not everybody, I think conventional wisdom or a lot of individuals just thought, you know, the pandemic, that's going to be the end of schools. And I was getting called from Waterloo, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. They were calling me and they were like, uh, Mr. Fregali, do you own a property on uh, Marshall Avenue? I was like, sold that like six years ago. Oh, okay. They, the, our records indicate you still own it. We, um, I'm like, what's the call for? And the, the individual was like, we're desperate need for housing for students. So like they, they're trying to go the private route and get students that I guess are oversubscribed and residents to to housing. Um, and you know, that's one data point, but even in our brokerage, we've started to sell more student res. So Hey, breakthrough listeners, are you a real estate investor looking to scale your portfolio, but struggle to find an investment focused renovation company? Then our team at evolution construction management is here for you with our standard list of features and processes. We've created an efficient method to streamline your renovation from start to finish. So you don't have to enjoy a hassle-free renovation on us. Visit our website at www.evolutioncm.ca or email us for your free quote at info at evolutioncm.ca. Yeah, no, that's it's coming back. It's interesting because I think during that time too, at the height of everything, right? They, in the, um, in the like actual dorm rooms on campus, they were doing this distancing thing where let's say the unit had six bedrooms. They would go, okay, now we're only going to put three students in there. So, which made everyone else more desperate for outside accommodations, um, which worked for us. I've heard like both sides of the story um, from different investors in different areas and student rentals, but ours, luckily, you know, we didn't really have a hitch. In Peterborough, that's where ours are. Yeah. <clears throat> Lots of interesting uh, outlook on the on the market and everything. Um, why don't we why don't we why don't we talk yeah. a bit about that on the commercial side? Why don't we uh hear what's been going on with the uh, with that in the last couple of years? I mean, we we last chatted, it was kind of starting of COVID and probably everyone was worried about commercial ever coming back or office ever coming back. Um now we're kind of rolling into the hopefully the ending here of everything. We'll see uh what's changed what's 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 going on in that world so the commercial real estate like to take it from the four major asset classes what we've seen is you know uh, 
multi-res has continued to do well. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's not a surprise to anybody that that asset class has been one of the darlings of the industry. Uh, there is still rental appreciation. We're seeing a lot of investment go into apartments. Um, so really it's again, you know, less, less and sorry, more and more capital chasing less and less products. So you really have to kind of work hard to find that product, but that is definitely a sector that boosted, uh, or kept a lot of these commercial firms, income uh or profits high uh industrial was another one uh you know who would have thought you'd have a global pandemic coincide with a lot of shoppers going online to begin with uh, so a lot of these last mile delivery uh locations started getting built like crazy uh we're in a huge still in a huge supply constraint on the industrial side we were low before the pandemic from a vacancy perspective i think toronto was number two in North America. I think LA was, I think they were number one or anyways, we were, we we're right up there and now we're sub 2% again, you know, last you hear 1%, one and a half percent. So industrial has been crazy. Uh, retail is, uh, since we last spoke retail, a lot of people are like, Oh, retail's not doing that great. And it's not necessarily true. Like I always say, when you have like Joe's Taekwondo or, you know, Stacy's nails, you know, you have those type of plazas that don't have any grocery store anchored aspect to them, or you don't have any essential service aspect to them. Yeah. Those have struggled. Um, but over the last year, there's been a lot of opportunities and assets purchased with those essential services and grocery store anchored that institutional and private capital uh, are putting money into. So I think that's going to remain strong. It just has to be fundamental because, you know, the States is overbuilt and we're, you know, we're not at that extreme, but we, we overbuilt retail for, for years and years. Uh, and then, you know, the question mark on office is it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out because, you know, to, to Rob's point in student res where you have people distancing, you know, and same thing in office, like our, as a company, number one, are we going to go back to the office? Number two, if we do go back to the office, do we need less space or do we need more space because of distancing? And, you know, this conversation was happening over the last little while. I can say that it definitely got to the point where a lot of people put inventory onto the sublease market. For some context, in our city, we have normally 600,000 to 900,000 square feet on the sublease market. I think in COVID, we peaked at like three, I think it was 3.3 million. So that is a lot of stuff going on the sublease market. And a lot of that is like a knee jerk reaction from a CFO or CEO. That's like, all right, well put it on the sublease market. So we've now come back down. I think we're now in the low twos. So from our perspective in brokerage, that's going in the right direction. We look at that as, you know, normalizing or have individuals mm -hmm. that are getting a little bit more clear on what they, what their plans are in the future. Um, but I think this is a, a net positive. Obviously, you know, if you're in brokerage, you, if you're not glass half full, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a challenging time. And for me, that works in office. Uh, a lot of what we do is in the office space. This was uh, something that if you've been in office for a long time, you saw this trajectory happening before COVID, this hybrid working, uh, Zoom, you know, we now know so well. This was something that predated COVID. It kind of pushed us into really determining why we we occupy space uh, what is the office for um, and I'm sure you know even you guys probably see it with the businesses that you work with or even in brokerage you know you start asking serious questions of what are what is the office for and and what is you know can we work in other ways and 
you know, from our clients, some of the answers were, we don't need to be in the office for this. And other clients were like, 100% this aspect of our business, we need a, we need a physical location. So that's kind of the upshot of, I'd say like the major commercial sectors. Interesting. And would you say that those, those ones that sort of the ones that said, absolutely, we need an office. Those are the ones that have basically brought those numbers back down. And do you think that now there's going to be more, um, sort of changing their minds on that? Or do you think we're going to sit sort of right around where we are now? And that's sort of going to be a new plateau. Um, there are a lot of uh, offices that right now are still sitting vacant because, you know, we, we had so many false starts, especially in, in, you know, in Canada, Toronto right. specifically for us, yeah. where, you know, we're okay. We're back. Oh, no, we're not back. And I don't want to say, you know, there's the, you know, the quote that this time it's different. And I don't want to be that bold, but one of the things <sighs> this particular time is that we have indication from the city of Toronto that they are going to be occupying their offices in March, the end of March. So they usually don't say anything unless they're going to actually do it because it would just look really poorly on them. And that wasn't something we had over the last year. We didn't have the city uh, or any leadership really give clear direction. You know, like when we, when we opened up again, a lot of the direction from the province was, all right, we're opened up, uh, you know, but don't go crazy. And you, right. businesses are like, what, what are you <laughs> telling us? Like we're on Queen Street, we're a retail shop you tell them that you can leave your house, but tell them not to yeah. everybody go shop. So I think this month particular, because uh, just recently we are now allowed to occupy without a passport. Um, we are going to be able to unmask in a week. And then the city is giving the business community direction. What you started to see after that is banks starting to put in place their policies. Because what I've learned over the years is that legal teams love to just point to other reasons why their decision made sense. And, you know, you have a legal team at a big bank that's like, well, the city of Toronto did it. So, you know, right. as silly as that sounds. So I think, I think TBD on, on how the recovery happens, but I think that it's going to be healthy for the office market because as you guys know, it's not just about the tenants it, or sorry, the landlords, it's a tenant landlord market. And I think for a long time, it's been very unhealthy for the tenants. I find it odd, Jesse, that you should expect leadership from the leaders. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy I've learned concept. I've learned over the past uh, year and a half that that's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, direction is you know not even leadership. Just a little bit of direction would be uh, would be a helpful piece for us. But you know, that's that's kind of how I see <laughs> you know the next year going in terms of you know continued uh, you know continued investment, um, because money is still very ubiquitous. Like we have a ton of money circulating, uh, but it's always that inverse relationship. It's like, you got to find the deals now. And then, you know, when the deals are everywhere, there's no money. So that's, you know, that's what I, that's what we talk to a lot of clients or just people that we're talking to investments is like, you know, anyone waiting for the next opportunity, the next buying market or whatever it's, <laughs> and maybe yeah, maybe there's yeah. a slight bit of that even i don't know if it's a window right now or if it's here for a little bit of a of a, of a few months or whatever but there's a little window it feels like almost today actually as we're sitting here so there's been a couple of weeks of uh of where we've been having these conversations around hey if you if you if you missed and you hadn't bought in the last couple of months and you really really want to or need to like you, now is an amazing time and it's so yeah. funny every time this happens the pushback 
there's always another th- reason to push back. And now they're all, well, yeah. now they're all scared because everyone else is scared. So you're like, well, if you're dealing, if you're dealing with somebody that has that mentality in the first place, like the person that's like, Oh, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Th- that's, that's, you know, that's going to be just heightened in this climate. I think, you know, it's not going to alleviate any doubts or fears just because the market dipped a little bit. They'll be like, Oh, wait and see if it, you know, continues. Yeah. 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 Um, what what do you guys, what have you guys seen on the, uh, on the residential side? Has the, has that market, uh, like, is that bifurcated between, between homes and condos? Has one, has one done better than the other? I, I, I mean, how, like, uh, detached and, and not, not condos take away them, but everything else is definitely, definitely, uh, cooled a little in the in the sense that it's only cooled in the amount of offers amount of action on the house it's not cool yeah. in terms of price really from what we've seen prices that you know we've just hit that level where people have gone now we're past everyone buying for hundreds of thousands over asking every time it's still happening but not every time because now people are listing at already the hundreds of thousands over they're not <laughs> listing at the right. where we were two months ago yeah. so i think yeah, I when you get found that. that amazing with residential real estate, my mom would call me and be like, yeah, this place, it sold for a million and a half. I was like, okay, it was listed at 600. I was like, well, it shouldn't have been less than it's like. No, you know, I know. It's so mm-hmm. silly. So now they're listing at a million and a half and yeah, they're just right. selling at a million and a half or they're selling yeah. at a million four seven or they're not or they're not getting 10 offers or 20 or 50 offers on offer day. They're getting one or none. And then they're, you know, people are a little, buyers in general, a little tired of all that crap too so you know that being said we we um we had a what was one of our just in the past few days we sold the fourplex here in hamilton that was went nuts went like 500 grand over asking we didn't expect that we expected yeah. maybe maybe 100 or, and change over it went way way over hmm. um and like i don't know i think the that that multi-family investment market is still really 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 hot whether that yeah. be small multifamilies are bigger in the apartment building style. Like there's that market still, there's still a lot of money out there to invest in that. People have a lot of people that own real estate for sure have made a lot of money and they need to do something. And they look at real estate and go, well, I made my money in real estate. I guess I'll reinvest in real estate. I think that's yeah. a pretty common uh, mindset out there. So the investors are going nuts still. And uh, yeah, I think, the single family new you know, first time home buyers and stuff are, je- are, are a little tired and, and maybe feel like they missed out and probably and now might scared. be the time for them to jump back in because like you yeah. said, yeah. like seen a drastic reduction in the amount of showings yeah. over the past, yeah, let's say three weeks even. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a good indication that now might be time for those people who have been sitting there or, or thinking, feeling a little defeated, mm. you know, maybe to, to jump back in. I was a little surprised during the during the pandemic where people were, you know, saying the thesis was, OK, everybody's leaving cities where, you know, the condos are dead. And I was just kind of, you know, first of all, I, I was surprised that that was kind of, you're hearing that by these, you know, talking heads or people that are supposed to be experts in our industry. When I was my thinking was good cities like quality cities, uh, whether it's New York, Toronto, bought like the the city is really where everybody comes for efficiencies. And even now, like condo prices, it, at least like in my bu- uh, building, I, I think there's been a couple record condo prices in the building in the last few weeks. So it seems to me that condo is still a huge demand unless, unless I'm totally misreading it. I think at the rate, at a, at a, 
at a standard sort of priced condo. Like if you get the more expensive ones, there's definitely a little slower, but Hmm. uh an average price condo for sure i mean we're selling we're seeing we're seeing new builds in hamilton now over a thousand square foot which is which is new for hamilton not yeah. new for toronto i think you know toronto were more what 1500 square foot maybe or up in that range yeah you know so some of these you know a hamilton market at a thousand per square foot is seemingly crazy for condos they're gonna sell they're selling they're, they're not, it's, not like they're not, it's not like they're not gonna sell out they're gonna sell out for sure yeah, it's crazy, but people are still buying them. And yeah. it, it, like the developments in Hamilton, because uh, there's a, f- a few condo, I think, so Brad Lamb had a, a condo development and are there a couple other? Television oh. City was his big one, which has been a few few years in the works, which is why uh, it had maybe a little more hype around it than than some, but um, a lot of the Toronto developers for sure coming, coming that way. And I know Hamilton's not probably alone in that. There's other markets that, yeah. that have had some version of that, like a Kitchener Waterloo or London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I think there's definitely a lot more to come. I mean, Hamilton's going through a condo explosion. It's been, that's been a few years in the making, yeah. uh, and, and certainly more to come. They're doing the whole waterfront developments, all that sort of stuff. Um, a lot of the Toronto, cause I think it's just tough to, to the numbers are tight in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, I've heard Toronto is about as tight as any market in North America in terms of, uh, building and developing those types well, of products. So. You say like how many times have people said myself included where it's just like, if I was just out of school right now, I wouldn't be able to afford the place that I live in. Uh, you know, yeah. if, if very difficult to get into the market at this point, uh, like pre-construction, I always thought was a great kind of way to get into, you know, break into a market um, because you have a bit of a forced savings plan, especially if you're younger. Um, but you know, it's, it's typically a little bit more achievable uh, to get in when you have somebody, you know, saying you got to make this payment every 60 or 90 days, whatever that is. Yeah. Now it's, you know, you're getting into what's certainly over half a million, if not up to towards a million, even in some cases. So it's, yeah. it's really hard to get in at that point now. Um, yeah, it's hard to say we could be by the time the show airs, you know, when we're sitting here reviewing this, we could be, this all could change, right? <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of things in the world, they're making changes happen pretty fast. We know the government, uh, historically government likes to intervene. So yeah. they could, they could be jumping in, in here at any point and well, saying, you know, we're yeah. changing the down payment amount needed on investment properties or we're changing the, um, you know, the, the dreaded one that everyone's worried about is the, uh, uh no more, um, we're taxing now on your sale of your primary residence. Like that could be that, oh anything, yeah, anything major like that could change, could change yeah. the dynamic completely. So that's yeah, another reason why I tell people just get in because you never know when anything could happen. And then we, we learned in 2017, it's like a week's notice and all of a sudden yeah. there's major changes that are going to affect. You're such a broker, Sandy. Any, any yeah. reason is get in. You heard the yeah, news, get yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it makes sense. We've had like the capital gains thing is something that has come up with investors, like interest rates too. But <clears throat> it's funny, like it's, it is something that people think about, uh, like that aspect of the business and not even just capital gains on principal residents, but for our investors who are, it's normally investment properties where they're just, you know, just increasing. I think Trudeau mentioned, I don't know if it was like in the middle of last year of increasing the actual inclusion rate on even investment properties. So it's definitely something people are thinking about, uh, I think, across the board. It's not just interest rates. It's definitely tax policy. But like you said, like anything can change. You know, it's, there's a global pandemic. There's a war in the Ukraine. Like, you know, one, you know, a couple of things change and everybody needs to pivot. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, a, it's almost impossible now for us to stick to this, but Sandy and I, you know, sort of started out saying, okay, we're not going to do like market updates and stuff like that because, you know, we want to stay timely if someone listens to this down the road, but you know what? I do think it'll, it'll put some little, like um, little bookmarks, mm. you know, in history. And, and it adds like a way of saying, okay, that's where they were then here's where we are now. And sort of how has it changed since then? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. You notice when you do a 50 minute podcast, it's really hard to have evergreen content, you know, some, like somebody saying something yeah. topical and, uh, you know, something's going on this month or this year. Yeah. Speaking of topical, why don't you tell us about your podcast? Yeah, sure. So Working Capital, the real estate podcast, that's the name. I started it. Uh, it just coincidentally, the first episode started at the beginning of COVID where people were like, oh, that's great. You know, you're doing stuff to keep yourself occupied. But it was like, <laughs> you know how podcasts are. They, they don't just come out like that. You actually have to prepare. Uh, and I think on the last episode, I kind of bent Sandy's ear. He helped me out at the beginning. I'm like, you know, when you're not in the, in your world, it's like, where do the podcast live? Like, how do yeah. I click a link? Where does that link come from? So for the podcast, I think we're close to a hundred episodes now. Um, I've been, I haven't taken a week off, so I've been pretty happy to be consistent. Uh, you know, it's like going to the gym where you, you know, people are like, I don't have time, but if you make time, if you're committed to it and it's very selfish of me to bring on, you know, people that are a lot smarter than me and, and get to talk to them for 45 minutes. And I'm sure you guys, you know, same thing where, especially being in brokerage, uh, you know, I have access to a lot of individuals that I have no business having a 50 minute conversation with that are, you know, high up in our industry, but can give great advice to listeners. So for me, the way I kind of summarize it for individuals that are that are curious of what it is, is it's focused on real estate investors, uh, but it comes from all different types of guests, you know, from lawyers uh, to actual investors, to people that are, you know, tax attorneys or tax or just accountants. Um, so for us, it's really kind of holistically looking at it. And, you know, just a small example, we talked about raising capital at the beginning of the show, you know, having somebody on that's actually a securities lawyer and kind of walks through what that process is and, you know, obviously get legal advice, but can give you kind of uh, an understanding of that aspect of the business. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's it. You can, I mean, Google it. It's, uh, you can go to workingcapitalpodcast.com if you want to check out any of the recent episodes. And obviously we'll put that link in the show notes. Definitely got to be, uh, you raise an interesting, just there's been some news around that people getting in trouble with, uh, securities and stuff like that. You definitely want to be careful and know what you're doing when you're getting involved in that sort of, uh, side of raising mm -hmm. money and making sure it's, you know, just, just, I don't even want to say stuff because I don't want to give advice really on it, but you got to be careful. Just make sure yeah, you know again, what you're doing. Everything we say on the show is our opinions yeah. only and, yeah. uh, and our experiences, not legal advice. There yeah. You but you're trying to say Sandy. Even on the, uh, even on the investor end of things, it, like not even just the legal piece, but obviously you owe to, you owe a fiduciary responsibility now. And for people that don't work in brokerage, maybe that might be the first time they're doing something like that. But one thing I have found is it's not for everybody. Uh, some people investing on their own, bootstrapping their own properties, or maybe working with one or two partners is the way to go because there are stressors that are involved in capital raising that are not involved when, you know, if John and I, my partner, we own our uh, property, eh, let's make an executive decision to do this. For us, that same decision, we're thinking about 10 other people or, you know, 50 other people, whatever your investment is. And it's something that, is a definitely a different 
way because you're kind of a steward for these investors. So it's definitely mm -hmm. something you want to be careful of just jumping into. Uh, talk to people that have done it before. Totally different mindset. Yeah, it's like a owning a private versus public company. It totally changes the way that the the, that the leaders of the of the company or the investment make decisions. It's, it changes the whole mindset. Certainly want to, yeah, certainly lots to talk about that that we don't have time to get into. But um, but uh, definitely go check out your show. That's awesome. They've built up that much content. I think that's one of the things that, you know, any real estate investor, any anyone in business of any kind really could really benefit from is going and interviewing people. Like that's like the easiest way to learn and grow yourself, but also provide value to the marketplace is like, a lot of people are really, really excited to get interviewed. And um they will doesn't really much matter who it is talking to them about it. If they, <laughs> if, if, you know, you invite someone to come into your your blog, into your show, into your uh, videos, into your book they're writing, magazine, whatever, it's a pretty easy way to get access to people. It's a great way. Um, so, you know, we're kind of encouraging the competition with that. But a lot of people should uh, should get into that. I think that's one of the most underutilized versions of uh, kind of business growth in general, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Jesse, what's next for you? Um, so we didn't touch on it here, but I, I purchased a, a property, a townhouse in Florida. Uh, and part of the reason I did that was I wanted to, you know, start actually, again, do the training wheels version of investing in Florida on the small scale and then figure out maybe in a year or two if we want to raise capital to buy stuff in the States. So that will probably be something, you know, I do in the next few years or hopefully expand, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, we'll talk to you in a year or two and see see where we're at. All right, that cool. sounds good, man. That sounds good. Costa Rica? Any uh, any thoughts on investing in Costa <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, Rica? I'm gonna have to bug you about that. That's that's pretty cool that uh, that you're down there now. So yeah, many people. I don't that's know if they're following I... following you or you're following them or whatever. The pack is just going. I know so many people are going that way now. Mm. It's exciting. Yeah, there's been a lot of interest for oh. sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it's been exciting so far, definitely, uh, to to spend a whole winter, you know, not not in the snow. Yeah, it's been a different experience. So, um, OK, so, Jesse, what is the best way for someone to get in touch with you? They can get in touch uh, working capital podcast dot com or at Jesse for on Instagram. It's funny. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time there. People will DM me and oftentimes that turns into kind of an email conversation if it's more formal. So Jesse, J-E-S-S-E-F-R-A-G-A-L-E. -E, um, you can look me up and if you have any questions about real estate, uh, don't don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always happy to help. Are, are you still looking for investors for other projects? Yeah, we're, uh, we're always keeping uh, investors kind of interest uh because we're always actively looking uh it's just you know like we've talked about it's more so finding the right deal but when mm -hmm. we do definitely um you know if you're interested on that aspect happy to have a conversation awesome perfect and again those uh the, the those um points of contact will be in the show notes for jesse anyone that missed that can just go back in there and they'll be able to contact him through there sandy how can people get in touch with you uh, the easiest way now is just uh, through social media for sure or sandy at freedomreps.com. You can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. 
We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time. Thank you.